0: Welcome back to Wild Game Dynasty, folks. This is Gary Morgan. Oh, before we start, I'm probably catching you sleeping in the in the recliner, not going to work, calling in sick, something like that after that big game. And, uh, hey, hats off to the Lions and their program. They've really come a long way, and uh, it's going to be really interesting to follow them uh, for a few years to come. I'm sure we are going to uh, really enjoy uh, what kind of a program they're turning around. Meanwhile, we have a special guest today. His name is Grant Woods, Dr. Grant Woods. Probably one of the leading experts in our country for whitetail nutrition, whitetail habitat, and probably a lot more than that. And I think I'll kind of uh, reserve expanding on that right now until you listen to what he has to say in our podcast. Listen close because he's talking about some really important things that I think a lot of us have maybe kind of just overlooked in the big picture. Hey, without further ado, without me rambling on, let's roll right into podcast episode 132 with Dr. Grant Woods from growingdeer.tv. Grant Woods, this is Gary Morgan calling.
1: Gary, thanks for calling and giving me an opportunity to visit with you.
0: Well, appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. I know, hey, despite it not being a, a proverbial deer hunting season or whatever it might be that's concluded, uh, sometimes that's when all the work begins. So. Uh,
1: that's right. That's right.
0: Yeah. And for that, I really appreciate uh, you, Grant Woods, uh, from growingdeer.tv joining us at Wild Game Dynasty for this podcast. I've reached out to a few of our um, constant listeners, and uh, I always kind of reach out to them. They're buddies of mine as well, and I get some really good feedback. And they were saying, you got to be kidding me. He's coming on your podcast, Morgan. What'd you do? And I said, well, you know, sometimes it's just uh, what, what I don't do that really uh, offers this. So, um I really want to kind of get right into this because I know you're from the uh, what that I want to say uh, a little west of the
1: Midwest, but uh, I think no we're, we're in the midwest we're in Missouri we're kind of the heart of the Midwest oh man um, and yeah life is life is good
0: yeah you're in the Midwest uh, you're in that uh, beautiful uh, state that offers so many hunting opportunities yeah they they do grow some wonderful deer I mean we have some leases out there that uh, we enjoy too. So, uh, over in that Harrison Gentry County area, that northwest area of the, of the uh, state. So, but uh, it's beautiful out there. We always enjoy it. So, um, yeah.
1: Good. I'm in the very southwest corner of Missouri. I'm by Branson, Missouri, wow. which is the Ozark Mountains. So, there's no crops here. No. Everyone thinks of Missouri is great big deer and cropland. That's <laughs> north of the Missouri River. I'm south in the Ozark Mountains. Uh, largest mountain range between the Smokies and the Rockies by far. Yeah. And we're, we're hilly, you know, steep hollers, clear creeks, rock bottoms, no soil, and there's not a combine anywhere around us for <laughs> long ways.
0: <laughs> that's not how I remember Missouri where we're at, but you know that so much greater than I do. And, but you're in that area that is, oh, it's picturesque. It's beautiful. It offers some uh, really nice uh, uh, creation that, uh, that uh, God has given us, and that's a wonderful thing. It is. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm uh I'm kind of reaching out to see a, a little bit about uh, what's going on in uh, in your world, but I I look at a couple of uh, points that I wanted to touch base with you cuz it, it always intrigues me and and uh, I know you do a lot of consulting, but you're, this consulting is just not a uh, a business on the on the, on the internet, we'll say, or on a uh, on a uh, you know, website. You do a lot of traveling.
1: We do. We do. Daniel's off today. I'll be traveling tomorrow. We travel. Have traveled between New Zealand and Canada. I mean, we don't just travel in the Midwest. We travel everywhere to assist landowners, or government agencies, or universities, or whatever.
0: Yes, absolutely. And just so our listeners know, I so many of them do know who you are, but uh, a little bit of background, if you, Grant, uh, if you can share that with us.
1: Yeah. Well, just real briefly, when I was in first grade, raised on a little bitty farm. Farms used to be mainly weeds, which in hindsight was great wildlife habitat. Yeah. Uh, there were no deer in the county where I was raised. And I'd heard, I don't know, barbershop somewhere, they're going to restock deer. And yeah. I had a little rabbit trap line, it used to be called rabbit gums. I wasn't very good at it. But of course, as a young boy, I thought I was a big Yukon trapper. <laughs> and, and running my little trap line one morning, I found a female fawn in a field that had been shot in the head and ever since that day i believe god literally used that day literally to make me be a deer biologist and wow. and give me some skills to understand creation and and his goal for creation and i really disliked lawbreakers or poachers wildlife lawbreakers poachers ever since that moment you know yeah. you can think as a young boy that i don't know the right word maybe fantasize about deer or wondered mm-hmm. about deer curious about deer and then the first one you find a uh, uh, you know, a bad person shot it in the head and left it to rot. You, mm. you don't get a good feeling about
0: that. No, absolutely. And it's amazing how impressionable we are at certain ages of our life. But what that does is sticks to us and, uh, and causes us to take action later on in life. It's amazing uh, the influences that uh, sometimes we just, uh, you know, kind of pass it off. But in the back of our mind or deep, deep down, we know that uh, that had a big part of it. It sounded like it did to you.
1: It did. It did clearly. Yes. Where does your travels? And and then just went to school. You know, just always. I'm 62, so Hmm. boys my age want to be in the army or you know be a policeman. All great honorable professions. And I did not. I just wanted to work with deer. The word deer biologist wasn't really there. I thought maybe game warden or something like that. Yeah. Just kept going to school and finding ways to work with deer. And worked out in Nevada, volunteered out in Nevada, stayed in Nevada to work with mule deer winter range. And somehow, you know, by God's mercy, ended up getting a a Ph.D., which really Mm -hmm. means nothing to me. It was just a year's working with deer. And while I was in those programs, I started being asked to help some landowners. This was very uncommon back in the day. There were almost no wildlife consultants. Uh, Now there are a dime a dozen, but there were none back in the day. I would help landowners volunteer, help them for free, any way I could be working mm. with deer or land or timber, and that grew into a little business while I was still in school. And when I graduated, I said, "Well, heck, you know, I'm—I mm-hmm. really enjoy helping landowners and wildlife, and I think I'm going to do this. Maybe I'll end up teaching school someday." Mm-hmm. Never had a plan. God had a plan, but I did not have a plan.
0: Usually <laughs> the case, yeah. ain't
1: it? And. Um, and here I am, 33 years later. We've been incorporated 33 years of wow. of doing this and a few other things. Yeah.
0: Wow. And of course, you brought a brought a few people into the fold of things. And uh, tell about that a little bit, because growing deer is just not a uh, a company that involves just you. You have other people involved.
1: We are. We we do have a staff, and they do more work than I do. Uh, but yeah, we have an office manager and. Three editors and a producer and a field guy and you wow. know Daniel's again out consulting and so we we work in the industry also we excuse me work with you know several large companies great companies Bass Pro Cabela's you know mm-hmm. Winchester Ammo and Firearms
2: that's awesome um,
1: several companies and we use their products or help depending on the company help design those products what do hunters need what works in the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we are very field oriented. Uh, I happen to be in the office today. It's raining here in Missouri and I'm catching up on stuff because <laughs> I would much rather be in the field. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we do. And it's been a good, it's been a really good life for me and my staff. Uh, Jamie's been here, I think 18 years, Daniel 10. I, you know, I, oh. uh, we don't have a lot of turnover no. and, and we just kind of, uh, you know, which is unheard of these days or not common, I should say. And, you know, we try to make it more of a, a family-oriented, you know, hows everybody by doing type mm-hmm. gig. It's not perfect. I don't want to paint a fantasy out there. It is not perfect. And and some people do want to go start their own gig or do something like that. But mm-hmm. for, in general, we do pretty good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's It permeates through your work that we see online and, and on television. Um, it's, it's obvious to me, I know that, that uh, – your folks that you that are working with you are very happy. That permeates through their work that we see, and uh, it's and uh, hence why I wanted to reach out to you. And but when you talk about traveling, um, that's a beautiful thing, and having having an influence upon other companies that produce products um, that the average hunter or outdoorsman or conservationist, we might say, use. So that's really nice to have that. Uh, Come you know almost like a 360 situation, but you have your own ground, and I know that you kind of uh, coined the phrase "proving grounds," but that's because that's what it is. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Well, uh, my wife and I uh, were looking for property. We were living in South Carolina on 13 acres, which we thought we you know we we'd made it big. We had our own ground. And I had a food plot on it, a couple <laughs> tree stands and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, but we got to a point. Where we wanted more land, and we had three criteria. Uh, we wanted our kids to go to a good public school. I believe in public schools, and you know, I, I believe there has to be a balance of kids with structure in their family and kids not. I mean, you know, when we separate everyone, it it leaves folks behind. So that's not what you asked me about. But anyway, that was one of our beliefs. Uh, mm-hmm. We had to be able to afford the property, and I want to be within an hour and a half of a decent airport, at least a regional airport, because I do travel all the time. And those three criteria did not allow us to find many places in the South. Land was more expensive than the Midwest at that time and all that stuff. And we come back to visit my family here in Missouri. And, I mean, really, God's just been this way in my life. We stopped. Trace and I were out, I don't know, you might call it a date day. We stopped and got a little ice cream at a little video old nothing store. And <laughs> I walked across the highway looking at this river bottom that I used to hunt that was now filled with condos. Oh, man. And, you know, Branson had expanded, become popular since I was gone. And and Tracy picked up a real estate guide out of, you know, like a little newspaper stand box and brought it to me. So here's some land for sale. And I'm selfish. And I was thinking, well, goodness, you know, uh, that's better than going shopping. Let's call the real estate agent and see if we can (laughs) go look at this land. And long, long story short, a guy had died and left this to a hospital seven years earlier. And they just didn't want it anymore. And we made an offer and they said, no, no, heck no. And then a year later, I guess their donations dried up or something and mm-hmm. decided our offer was, was good enough. And that's wow. how God put us here.
0: Wow. Isn't that something?
1: Oh man! And it was a rocky, it was a burnout, rocky cattle ranch. Yeah. I, 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 you know, people don't understand how far we've come. And I do not say that boastfully at all, but I don't know if I've ever worked a property in my entire career that had as many cattle skeletons where cattle just starved to death all over it. Wow. I, I'm not talking 10 or 20, mm. I'm talking bunches. Mm. And it was a, a, that's why it was cheap, right? This was sure. not good land and it was overgrazed and poachers had their, no one had lived on it for seven years. Poachers had their way with it and four their trails everywhere, you know, a lot of issues, but that's what we could afford. Mm-hmm. And we kind of planted our flag, so to speak, and what the, whatever budget we had with time, we just little, little bitty, you know, just mm-hmm. little b steps at a time, a lot of handwork. Mm-hmm. It was me, myself, and I, the three of us. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and, a, and an old steel chainsaw. And we just were <laughs> cutting cedars and burning what we could. And, you know, finally got a little budget, get a little more help, and a little more help. And, yeah. you know, just kept chipping away at it.
0: Well, if you were ever to take a piece of a property, at its low point, and uh, maybe get a little bit of a, uh, a cut on the uh, on the purchase price, which it sounds like because of that, um, yes. you you found that ideal piece, or it found you, or or a combination of both. But uh, it allows you to do hopefully nothing but uh, you know um, improve or go up in value because of the uh, efforts that you all put into it. And it sounds like it has tremendously.
1: I mean, that's true financially, but I think also, you know, mentally and physically all the labor out there and spiritually, I think there's some real Mm -hmm. benefits to watching land heal or being a part. I mean, I think there's benefits to having a 10 foot, by 10 foot garden and turn it in from, you know, whatever was there. Maybe it's corner of your yard or you move some old round rotten bales of hay or something. And you turn Mm -hmm. it into a really productive garden. I think people feel good about that. And they, reap the rewards by eating healthy produce and mm-hmm. so watching land improve drives me as a consultant i really enjoy helping landowners realize their dreams or at least as you know within reality everyone wants a giant buck behind every tree and then we step down to reality <laughs> uh, but you know yep. restore and what i find and have found you know because i've been in school for way too long and this and that and the other and as an elder person now, I'm 62. Looking back on my career and what I've learned from great, I've learned I learned a lot in school, but I learned a lot from landowners. And mm-hmm. I find that you learn great lessons from practitioners, people who have really done it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And working all geographic areas, I find that when we restore native habitat, it's about as productive as it can be, and that production is not just because you can grow a lot of bushels of corn on mm-hmm. a synthetically you know, field, field and all that. But when I say productive, productive against weeds, productive against drought, productive Mm -hmm. against harsh winters, I I don't think we can do any better than restoring native habitat. And then the question becomes, well, what is native habitat? Native is a a tough word to define. Is native when the Europeans got here? Is Mm -hmm. native when Mm -hmm. the first Native Americans were here? I mean, you know, what is native? Yeah. And for me, I'm I just believe, in every part of America. We all know of Lewis and Clark, but there were little explorers or trappers, or mm-hmm. you know, uh, people that kept a journal. In my area, the gentleman's name was Schoolcroft, and he was here when trappers were here. There were no developed towns. Trappers there were some trapping cabins around, mm-hmm. and he was looking for lead deposits for a mining company, and he kept a little journal like Lewis and Clark. And he was a pretty good botanist. Of course, he could identify a lot of the wildlife and and i've read his journal many times and that helps me understand what species of trees were here and how mm. thick were the trees and you know that's um, awesome i think going back to that is probably the best we can do yeah at defining native here in 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 the usa at defining native and using that as a goal to restore habitat
0: yeah we got a long way to go on that one don't we though in this country
1: you know, I mean, I think we need to be realists too, right? We got to feed a bunch of people, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we need highways. You know, I hear all these people griping about stuff. And I'm like, man, I don't know when I need to go to Georgia to help someone. I like that highway system. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I don't want to ride a horse between here and there. I wouldn't get much done. <laughs> you, so I think again, keeping a balance or a perspective of, of real I'm not going off on a cliff on this, but, you know, folks, electric cars aren't quite here yet. I'm not knocking anyone that wants anything, but I travel a lot. I would not have time to charge a car to get to where I need to go. Yeah, And and so I think just a a real perspective, not, you know, not us picking on other people all the time because their opinion doesn't agree with us, but Mm -hmm. a real perspective of what we can do to help each other. And I think that starts by helping the land because we all want a healthier environment to live in. Yeah. And when we have healthy soil, because I do a lot of work at the soil level, not just trees or deer, Mm -hmm. but when we have healthy soil, soil starts the air cycle, the water cycle, the nutrient cycle. And those three basic cycles are critical to all forms of life. And if we don't have healthy soil, there's Mm going to be issues. Yeah.
0: Well, That's so true. Isn't it though? I mean, we, you see that in some areas um, where maybe the uh, uh, progress, we'll call it, as it was, might have been identified, but uh, against all odds, that building got put up or that uh, factory got erected or whatever happened, and then maybe it got mothballed for the opposite to be true, and, and now look what's standing there, and there's not a uh, blade of grass that will grow there. The contamination is, you know beyond where we can even uh, find the bottom of
1: it and uh, I think I, I like your thinking and I like again call it practitioner or mm-hmm. real world illustrations or examples and one of my favorites is if you may recall Chernobyl was a nuclear plant mm-hmm. that had an accident many years ago 20 about 20 years ago now and horrific you know nuclear dust whenever it killed a bunch of people and you know horrific on every level mm-hmm and, and so people have not been going in that site. The radiation's now down a good bit, and then there's a few people that go in there with special gear or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it is stunning to see the pictures of wildlife yeah. and plant communities in there now, which we thought or we'd been told that was going to be a wasteland for X hundred years. Yeah. And I'm always stunned by the resiliency of creation to recover. Mm-hmm. And the same is true mm-hmm. if we look in... Uh, Saudi Arabia, some of these places that we'd been told by scientists that would always, were always a desert. They're always a desert, always be a desert, been a desert forever. And some of the nomadic tribes say, no, their ancestors told them these were green and oasis and, you know, mm. all this great stuff. And great people with the mission have went in there and did really simple things like put little rock dams across the – little not streams anymore but drenches starting at the mm-hmm. top of the mountain and working down and planting some simple grass seeds or whatever and in you know, over a period of time 10 years or so those watersheds now are vibrant with water running on top of the ground there was never any water on top of the ground wow. fish in the streams green trees growing productive farms sheep herds so there's so much hope. I'm not one of these that oh, you know, woe is me, the earth is crushing. I don't, <laughs> I don't see that at all. Yeah. I think that, wow, we have learned enough now, to be able to do really, really good work. And if we just share this truth and honesty with mm-hmm. others and these realistic examples, we have so much hope for the future.
0: Yeah, we do. You know, what are some, what are some, things, you know, ac- action points that. The average landowner, whether it be somebody that owns that 13 acres like you alluded to earlier, owns two acres or owns, uh, you know, 222 acres or more, whatever it might be. Yeah. yeah. But what do you uh, some maybe points of advice on some simple tasks that that person or that family can implement to uh, make their land that much better or restore it to where they think it, it could be or should be?
1: Great. Great question. Great question. So, you know, I I think man is mankind. I'm not meaning gender, but mankind Mm -hmm. has done so much great work. You know, we've defeated more or less polio and, you know, mosquito, you know, just, Mm -hmm. um, almost you know, created electricity, all this stuff. Yep. And, but in that process, we did some things we shouldn't have done. For example, we've put invasive species plants and animals all across the planet. We got wicked snakes already grades that are just decimating native species and we've mm-hmm. released kudzu pinoyar ceresia lesbedeza or, or mm-hmm. you know all these things that are really crowded out. so job one is typically identifying any exotic invasive species on your property and the south that again might be kudzu or privet or you know things like this mm-hmm. and, and you're probably gonna have to use a herbicide and i look at herbicide as a tool. I don't want to get a root canal, but the dentist tells me, Grant, if we don't do a root canal, it's going to rot out all the teeth on that side of your jaw. I'll get a root canal. Mm -hmm. Well, that's kind of how I look at a herbicide. If I need to control an invasive exotic plant species, and the best way to do that is a herbicide, then I'll use it. I don't want to just be flinging it everywhere, but I'll use it as a targeted application.
0: And I like how you you identify that. No, no, Grant, I like how you identify that. It's the best way. You didn't say the easiest way, but the best way—the yeah. overall best yeah. way—and that's neat. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, and, and and so I think remove if there are any, if there are, removing invasive exotic species because because they're invasive and exotic by nature, they're going to continue to spread and it's a losing battle. So let's tackle that while you can, and and you know be efficient on that. And that will free up space for native species to mm-hmm. start. And it all starts with the plant, right? If you're mm-hmm. if you're a person that really enjoys certain species of butterflies, well they thrive on certain native species or, yeah. or songbirds or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So I think restoring is to years' extent, you know, you may have big horse pasture and you need bahia grass whatever in it, but to years' extent, restore native vegetation where you can. Stop erosion if there's erosion on your property. Figure out what's causing that, or the source, because it it really starts in the soil. So if you're losing soil, you know you're going downhill. You're mm-hmm. going the wrong way. Yeah. That's so for sure. stop erosion. These are real simple things, and they're mm-hmm. not glamorous, right? People all think, well, what's that magic plan or that recipe, <laughs> or, you know, whatever it is. But you have to start at the basics, just like we do when we're taking care of our health or something. Yeah. And then I would ad- what I like to do. Is one last tip I'll share is, yeah. uh, you know, like on the I Ice 13 acres, well, zoom out. We can all do this with all the maps online and more stuff easily. And look at the resources in the neighborhood. And, you know, we let's just start with food and cover and water for critters and figure out what resources the most limited. And that, you know, depending on where you are, it's rarely water in the southeast, but it may be water in West Texas or something. But mm-hmm. find the most limited resource for critters. And then create that if you can, establish that on your property. Mm. Because if you just, a facetious example, you talked about Missouri, but you know, if the neighborhood is thousands of acres of soybeans, you adding soybeans to your property isn't really doing anything. Right. They're not the limited resource. Right. Uh, But identify if it's food cover or water and then try to establish that on your property.
0: Yeah. Good advice. Great advice. Absolutely, kind of a uh, a view from a thousand feet. Move up to five, ten, you know, and, and find out uh, what's going to help you reach that uh, that goal, and uh, mm-hmm. y- utilize locally what's there, and uh, don't complicate it. Keep it uh, keep it simple if you, if it's uh, able to be kept simple. And so many times it is if we look at
1: it that way. I think we all, myself included add too much complexity to most solutions. Yeah. And Me that too. slows us down and creates inefficiencies. And I find that simplicity is almost always the best route.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, this leads into a next question that I just started uh, jotting down. Because I, I didn't jot it down earlier, but uh, um, we're doing these things to help out not just the critters, but uh, mankind, et cetera and uh everything on planet earth but if we look at uh, who's probably listening to this podcast and who might be uh looking to improve things overall but they're, they're maybe they're focusing on on our deer population and saying hey i'm fighting a battle with uh with our with our department of agriculture doing uh mass uh Uh, we call it slaughter, mass killings because the deer population kind of exceeded its capacity in certain areas, but not over there, but over here. What is it that someone can do beyond what we just talked about as far as keeping their deer healthy? A A little or a lot of disease prevention that they can do despite not being a biologist and not being a veterinarian and that type of a thing. But the average person, what can they do? What steps can they... Um, undertake to say, hey, I can't stop it, but I'm going to do everything that I know to uh, not uh, be that person that uh, just says, oh, well, that's just the way it is.
1: Yeah, you may be referencing CWD, and in some areas the government wants to reduce the herd because it's to reduce the spread of CWD. Yeah. And that's unequivocally the best thing they can do. Okay. So CWD is spread deer to deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, you know, there, there's much misinformation about CWD online anymore. And I find that really sad because, I, as I shared earlier, I mean, I love deer. My oldest daughter is named Raleigh, which is dweller by the deer meadow.
3: Mm. My
1: youngest daughter is named Ray, R-A-E, which is Hebrew for doe. Deer impact almost everything <laughs> in my life. Yeah. I'm passionate about deer, not just killing big bucks. I'm passionate about deer. So I think our best examples there are what we can do is let's just consider Wisconsin, great deer hunting state, and Mm -hmm. Illinois. And they both discovered CWD a little bit over 20 years ago, almost at the same time. And at first, Wisconsin did. Boy, they were going to reduce populations. And they got some really bad advice. And they said, oh, let's just let it go. Mm -hmm. And Illinois took a more scientific approach and said, well, this is spread deer to deer. So we don't want to put out attractants like bait or minerals because they're Mm going to salivate, urinate, and defecate the same area.
0: Yeah, that's for sure.
1: And... I was at a little deer meeting last night, and gosh, I didn't eat off anyone else's plate, and I didn't want the meat <laughs> off my plate. It just makes sense that that's when you a, have critters, yeah, that's a good way to it. not only eating, but salivating, urinating, and defecating frequently in a little 10-foot circle or something that not only could you spread CWD, but you know, just stomach worm, deer are not vaccinated. It's not legal to vaccinate deer unless they're privately owned in captivity. Right. And so it's not like cattle, almost most cattle are vaccinated. So they eat out the same day deer are not vaccinated mm-hmm. and they were never created to be that close. So Illinois did, you know, limit or, or actually eliminate the use of those attractants. Hunting mm-hmm. I mean, still so it goes on. If I said, Hey, I've had a great time today on this podcast, Would you like to go hunting with me in Illinois. You'd say yes. Or most people would. Yeah. Um, and then they did reduce the population where they found a positive case. And everyone says eliminate or, you know, they brought the sharpshooters in. There's all these rumors. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the government employees will do it if the landowners won't. In every state, the land, they give the landowners the opportunity to do it. They want the landowners to do it. They don't want to spend that money. And another really bad myth is the states are just doing this to make money. There's no state making money off CWD. In Missouri, they spend about $30 million a year mm. combating CWD. I wish that money could be spent on habitat Boy, or that's for fishing sure. ramps or boat docks, You know, whatever we need. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because of a lot of misinformation and continuing battles, they have to spend too much of their budget on this. So we forward now 20-plus uh, years into the future or current time. And there are portions of counties in Wisconsin that have an incident rate of CWD, a prevalence rate of 60%. Oh, my goodness. If you kill a buck, if you kill a buck, this is factual. This is not hearsay. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, If you kill a buck, you have a 6 out of 10 chance it's going to CWD. Oh, wow. Okay. That herd is in deep trouble. Mm -hmm. If you go to Illinois, I think the highest in the state, the highest one little area is 17%, and statewide, it averages way, way less. I think it's 3% or maybe 1%. Mm. So Missouri took the same approach about eight years later when CWD was found in Missouri as Illinois. The highest incident rate anywhere in the state is slightly over 1%. Wow. Or we can go to western Kansas where they did nothing. They don't test for it. They do nothing. They they bought that old line, well, this is not a disease. You know, They listen mm-hmm. to the wrong people.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I personally consult on a ranch that's in the very northwestern corner of Kansas. It's 30,000 acres of corn, soybeans, and a little bit of cattle. It is tremendous. And hills and hollers and you know, deep mm-hmm. places for deer to get away. Tremendous deer habitat. And they probably made as much or more money off selling deer hunts because they grew a bunch of 200-inch deer. These are wild, free-ranging deer. No high mm-hmm. fencing. Mm-hmm. Just a big old cattle ranch. Uh, they, sell, they sell no hunts now. There are no deer living at Oat. Oh my goodness!
2: There are not goodness. a few
1: deer living at Oat. There are no deer living at Oat. Wow! So all uh, those be- people saying CWD is not a disease—I'm sorry—they're misinformed, but they are doing massive damage yeah. to our natural resources.
0: So the average person, as I read into this, is uh, follow the advice that uh, that from our stewards of our land, our Department of Natural Resource people. Our game biologists etc and if they say uh you know no bait and of course it's if it's a law, somebody's gonna say well I, you know i'll put a little bait out no i mean follow the follow the rules because uh they're using sound science and and there's a reason for it we'll all benefit greatly because of it uh, there may be some inconveniences and maybe a little bit a tiny bit of pain but uh um we got to go through pain to get to the pleasure as we might say and so there's... it's
1: the best for our natural resources mm-hmm. not just deer mm-hmm. and cwd again it's not just cwd lung worms stomach worms all kind of parasites we know from really great research out of texas actually that if we reduce parasites in deer you get about a 15 percent bump in antler size so that takes a 100 inch deer to 115 mm-hmm. and it takes a 150 to an oh my goodness mm-hmm. so we don't want to add parasites to deer but Again, if they're urinating, salivating, defecating in a little mm-hmm. circle, you're going to add pairs because one deer is going to be a little sick or have some parasites. Yeah. and You're just inviting all the deer to get it. So yeah. well, it's common sense. And we've been a little spoiled. Baiting baiting was non-existent when I was a kid. No one even thought about it. That was not even considered honey.
2: I remember no that. No one too. thought about yeah. it.
1: And now I get, a lot, I get all kind of hate mail about CWD. I'll get more after this podcast probably. <laughs> and people's people will tell me well kids can't kill a deer without bait or you know so and so can't kill a deer without bait or you're just you know you're anti-bait or the insurance companies are paying you to keep us you know
2: yeah.
1: the insurance companies wants to kill more deer you've, you've heard all these things mm-hmm. and i i get it every day i mean yeah. i get it literally every day well this is all nonsense uh the government wants a bunch of deer out there so they you know they can have more hunters and hunters do a lot of good for the environment they can spot wildfires where they get out you know Mm -hmm. hunters do a lot of things besides kill deer the hunters provide a a good hunters like good people provide a great public service Mm -hmm. um so yeah uh bait has not always been here folks bait deer survive just fine without bait when Mm -hmm. you know when lewis and clark were going around or anything like that Mm -hmm. bait is an artificial thing and whitetails because they're not vaccinated and, and I don't really know of any species. We know that people in really dense urban areas usually aren't as healthy as people out on the countryside. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, there's just so much common sense here, folks. Yeah, you betcha. Um, and 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 I think there's so many unintended consequences that people don't think about. And this is, again, research. This is not Grant just talking, but you got bait out and it's in the spring when hens are nesting, turkey hens are nesting. And it rains, well, I don't know if you've ever turkey hunted when it rains, but mm-hmm. you harvest a tom when it's wet, it smells horrible. You can't you can't hardly carry it far enough away from your no. body, it smells so bad. That's for sure. <laughs> and that's called the wet hen theory. Yeah. And so it's raining, and the hen goes to the corn pile, which they will do. If there's corn in the area, they will go there. Well, first, that corn is molded. If it's on the ground and wet, it's going to mold. Mm-hmm. You can't see it or smell it, but 20 parts per billion is enough to really hurt turkeys. Wow. You can't measure 20 parts per billion outside a lab.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And every bit of corn is put on the ground after a day or two is going to mold, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Just period, okay, oh. because it's in a perfect environment for mold to grow. Corn is really high in starches. That's what a lot of bacteria need to grow and funguses and stuff like that. Mm. So there's that. But then the more direct mortality is that hen goes to the bait, leaves a lot of scent, walks back to her nest, and the coon goes to the bait because anyone ever put bait out knows how many coons go there. Mm-hmm and smells that hen and falls right back to the nest. Mm. So there's a lot of mm-hmm. unintended consequences that is not told. And I don't know why biologists, myself included, mm-hmm. don't do a better job of sharing this.
0: Well, we're we're, we're taking efforts, today being one of them, but uh, you see and hear and read more about these items. And I think it's going to take a little bit... Um, you know, we hear it, uh, how many times will we finally uh, start believing it? And I think uh, we, we have to uh, kind of decipher with some of the uh, truths and half-truths maybe or some well-intended consequences, but probably those um, intentions uh, did not produce good consequences. And that one of them is, you uh, know, every party store, every uh, bait shop, every, you know, at least in Michigan, though we have a no-bait law in the Lower Peninsula, I would venture to see you can buy just as much in, in uh, bags of 50- uh, 60-pound <laughs> bags at every store. I mean, pallets of it. And everybody oh, wonders, yeah. why. I thought that's illegal to put out. You you bet it is. And, you know, I got a couple of friends here that are conservation officers, and I said to the one, I said, Gary, I said, we, we could have twice the staff and go out and ticket. People like crazy. But he says, we'd be chasing stuff down like you wouldn't believe. And he says, so we respond to complaints, and if it's something obvious or whatever it might be, yeah, we'll do an investigation. But uh, people just got to understand, these laws, they may be inconvenient, but they are very helpful and, and well-meant. They're not uh, established to screw up our hunting ground. They're established to prevent this CWD-TB. TB's kind of a big spot up here in yeah, yeah, yeah. The Northeast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, anyways, yeah, yeah. Well, I've got like one or two more things. Mm -hmm. So based off your busy schedule and your staff, uh, what do you see trending that we need to, we, whether it be hunters, hikers, or conservationists, which should really be a description for all of us, what do you say that, we should be paying attention to and maybe it's what we already talked about, but is there anything on the maybe something that should alert us or something that we should just be doing more of or uh, say you, Grant, what how do you respond to that?
1: It's a great question. And let's define conservation, I think the best definition I've come across is the wise use of a resource. Mm-hmm.
0: That's so a very good definition. conservation is
1: not preservation. Hey, I'm going to bottle this up and not let anyone touch it. It's the wise <laughs> use of resource. And sometimes the wisest use of a resource of, you know, the limited Buffalo left or something like that might mm-hmm. be preservation. But it, all, all the conservation of natural resources starts with habitat. And we get down again to those basic elements of, you know, clean water, clean air, lots of nutrients. True for critters, not just us. So mm-hmm. I think taking care of the land and there's so many simple things we can do. We can recycle. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Recycling shouldn't be a a political thing. You know, aluminum is so easy to recycle. You don't don't certainly don't pitch that can out the window where you're going down the road. (laughs) Uh, Put it in the Mm -hmm. appropriate place. Uh, We can be mindful of natural processes and natural processes include fire. And the folks, you know, north of the Midwest don't like these much prescribed fire, but fire was certainly there. Again, we know from the early explorers talking about these things and writing, not just talking, writing about them. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, the, and you, you touched on this earlier, but the number one thing we can all do, hikers, bird watchers, fishermen, all of us, concerned citizens, is educate ourselves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and seek the truth, seek the truth. And that can be as easy as not just reading one pop up on your google feed but yeah. confirm that by yeah. checking out four or five more sources you bet you know seek the truth and I, I myself as a believer believe that truth is readily available
3: yes it is in all
1: things in life but i find that i when i make bad judgments or give bad advice or whatever I probably didn't take time to seek the truth on that subject. And so get information. Mm -hmm. Are wolves really having an impact on deer? Not just the the latest headline, but seek information. And wolves can be really hard on deer or they can be in balance. Either way, it depends on how they're managed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, But seek the truth. And I think if all of us, end users like maybe you and I or Mm-hmm. Game agencies or politicians, at any level, you know, local, state, national, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think the best way for us all to be conservationists is to seek the truth. Yeah, and I, apply it.
2: I
0: agree with you. We're going to be rewarded for that. We may, we may or may not see it in the way we were hoping to see it, but uh, we'll be rewarded for that. There's no doubt about it in my mind.
1: I think there's ample evidence of times our society throughout. Throughout time not I'm not talking you know now or last month, but throughout time, when our society did not seek truth or turned a blind eye to truth, mm-hmm. that things went really awry, yeah,
0: yeah, and we at the time it's it's like there was a hundred people in the room, and ninety nine mm-hmm. out of a hundred of them had their tongue in their cheek thinking, "Oh boy, why do we do that? Oh well, just keep doing it, but yes, um, yes. yeah, yes. Well, what's on the agenda for Grant Woods and growing deer? Whether it be growingdeer.tv, the or the TV portion of your uh, company, the consulting, etc. What's on the agenda for 2024, 2025, or if there's something even further out than that that uh, might be, you know, doing some exploring type things in the area that you are working in, but it might also be expanding or whatever it might be. What what do you see uh, on your on your uh, on your immediate or soon horizon
1: a median horizon is we're of course in in late january we hope it's, it's raining today but we hope to start implementing some prescribed fire on our property soon mm-hmm. uh, fire is again a, a very natural tool a very important tool uh, continue helping landowners the best we can um, hopefully reach more people with good information uh, to be really candid you know i'm at a season of life, and a stage in my career where it's not about making the next paycheck. It's, it's about doing what's right and helping people and certainly taking care of my employees. That's what's right. right? You know, my employees need a good life.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: We work hard. We work long hours. Uh, as far as something really new and innovative, um, I, I did not learn this in college. I, I learned this the hard way or just through time. But I'm really fascinated with all the benefits that come from improving soil's health or restoring soil's health. And I've come to realize through great mentors, Gabe Brown being one, I I read his books. I Mm -hmm. I, I read about anything he writes is, I don't think any of us have seen really healthy soil with even on the best soil we see it's degraded from what was here, you know, maybe back in the great prairie days or the Mm -hmm. early explorer days or something like that. So, uh, I think the frontier for human health, wildlife health, uh, better air around the planet, all these things literally is better soil, healthier soil. And that, you know, when I'm talking to a deer crowd, I'm, I'm a deer biologist. That's what I do for a living, mm-hmm. uh, kind of gets lost. But, man, in the places, in my place, for example, just real briefly, I'll give you a little example. So we have no bait, no mineral, nothing like that on our place. And I'm in a county that when I purchased a property 20 plus years ago, uh, the county record for a deer was 131 inches, and back in the day, more people registered deer than now. It's not popular now, but back mm-hmm. in the day, it was kind of popular. People used a lot of Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett measurements. So, and we've produced by improving the habitat and you know doing stuff. We've harvested, not just produced, harvested had our hands on you know 150s, 170s, wow, uh, way above that area. And again, seeking the truth so people go to northern Missouri to hunt and mm-hmm. harvest large antlered bucks. And they often talk about the genetics in northern Missouri or Iowa or somewhere like that. Mm-hmm. What they don't know, and the story that's not told is almost all, like 95% of the deer in northern Missouri, the genetics, come from these hills in southern Missouri. Because back in the day when deer were almost wiped out, the only deer surviving in Missouri were down in these steep hills and hollers where I live. Mm-hmm. just a remnant population and some refuges were built and those populations were allowed to grow and expand and then they would trap deer in there and take them to deer areas with no deer and release them.
0: Wow. That's interesting.
3: Mm.
1: It's rarely, and this has been done in state after state. Georgia is mm-hmm. no perfect example. Uh, yeah. Uh, where we have a, a really good stocking record. We know where deer were brought from and you know, where they were put. And so short story is we know that healthy soil or better nutrition grows better deer. And there's some examples because no one out there in your audience goes, well, I'm going to Branson, Missouri, where Grants from to hunt big deer. I mean, no one's saying that. They may come to Branson <laughs> for all the shows or yeah. theme parks or yep. fishing or whatever, but they're not coming here to chase big deer. Yeah. But we do grow big deer here. And other, other friends of mine that have a little bit of land or whatever do too. And so, again, this goes back to seeking the truth, seeking information, and from a deer point of view, you realize it's not genetics. It's the health of the land and then allowing deer to reach an older age structure because antlers tend to get larger as the deer matures until they reach, you know, senile stage and the bodies are healthy, just like humans.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and so um, our goal or one of our long-term goals is to help people understand soil health from a wildlife point of view. And a human health point of view. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll leave you with this. We're, you talk about projects, what's going on. We have not really released this to the public, but we're working with Dr. Stefan Van Bleet, B-L-I-E-T, out of Utah State. Utah State's uh, one of the world-leading human health institutions. And Dr. Van Bleet is just brilliant. I, you know, I'm a simple deer bodge. This guy's brilliant and a genius and all this stuff. And he has developed a way to test compounds, not just, you know, protein and calcium and sulfur, Mm -hmm. but compounds, Mm. mixes of chemicals out of human food substances, about 500 of these compounds. Some of them are called phytonutrients. The sun had to be involved to develop these. And forever, wild-caught salmon were thought to be the healthiest meat humans could eat. Humans can actually survive off wild-caught salmon because it has such a wide palette of nutrients in it. Not not hatchery raised salmon, because when you're eating eating perina fish chow, whatever they're eating, you don't get that full gamut of nutrients when you're swimming around the ocean and eating little fish and stuff. Yeah. Okay. And that's been the keystone of the best food until he was doing something in Hawaii and got the opportunity to test meat from axis deer. There were no mammals except a bat in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. God made Hawaii, New Zealand, those places as bird Mm -hmm. sanctuary Mm -hmm. and European settlers actually brought game in there Mm -hmm. uh to hunt they brought axis deer in there and hunt and goats to eat and stuff like that so we tested an axis deer living a wild feral not wild but feral axis deer living off native vegetation wide and it was better than salmon wow and when i heard this uh dr van bleet and i communicated so we know i have pretty good navy habitat where i live i do a lot of burning i try to get the tree density back down to what it was during early settlement days not what it is now with way too many trees on landscape so more suns reaching soil, stuff like that. And so me and one of our clients in South Carolina are submitting about 20 samples each of liver and loin or meat to Dr. Van Vliet. We're in the very early stages. Mm -hmm. But wouldn't it be cool if whitetail, you know, if you have good habitat. Now, if you're shooting them out of a bean field, you're probably not getting full gamut. But if you have good native habitat, and it's the healthiest meat you can provide your family. That'd be amazing. And it's very inexpensive wouldn't that be wonderful Mm -hmm. it'd be incredible yeah that's for sure so i'm very you can i'm sure you can tell by the inflection of my voice so i'm super excited about this research and uh dr van vliet already has the samples from south carolina we're still harvesting a few deer i am uh, so we're waiting just a little bit. We're probably sending him a package here in a couple of weeks you and I bet. cannot wait. And it will take a while to do this intensive work they do, but I yeah. cannot wait well, to get is... and share whatever they are. I'm mm-hmm. not going to hide it if it's not what we think of. What are those results are? I think, and this has nothing to do with me. It's Dr. Van Blee. I'm just you know, <laughs> providing samples. Mm-hmm. Uh, but wouldn't it be cool for us to know exactly what we're eating? Not just, well, boy, venison's healthy for you. Wouldn't yeah. it be cool to know?
3: Oh,
0: man, this is awesome. This is really, I mean, as you know, I mean, it's cutting edge. Um, but, boy, this is, uh, this is something that, this first I've heard of it. And it's going to take well, some time to reach out to the, a lot of people. But look, this is uh, very, optim- I mean, it's optimism at its highest, really, in a lot of ways for so many of us, especially, like you alluded at the beginning, uh, we're, we're a planet that has to feed a lot of people. And it's important to have and the we best can. product. We
1: know, we, we know when we improve the soil and use adaptive grazing or, you know, regenerative ag or something like that, that our production goes yeah. way up. Yeah. And we're actually more profitable than other farmers, but farmers don't want to break off the government cycle. Most farmers, <laughs> you <laughs> know, 85% of farmers in America are on government subsidies. Well, yeah. I think that's sad. It is. And I'm not knocking farmers like a lot. Hey, man, I was raised on a farm. I want mm-hmm. all farmers to do great, but you can't count on our government, folks. I mean, that's, you know, come on, look around. We're broke. You can't count on that. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, healthy soil and healthier crops for us all to eat, not just deer. And healthy deer come from a healthy habitat. Yeah. And I think hunting should maybe would benefit a little bit from going back to more of a provider attitude. Than just a simple sport attitude. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, I'm not sure I'm phrasing that right. No, I think
0: you are. Though I, think... I mean, it's not a it's not a problem to uh, have somebody enjoy the sport of hunting, but uh, but peel back those layers and uh, get get back to uh, the real reason we are out there. The real reason we should be out there um, is enjoying creation. But when we do harvest, look at it that way, not as a uh, Sport that, what the uh,
1: creator provided us, what yeah, we have, this yes. super, super healthy meat and protein source mm-hmm. for our family. And wouldn't that young child we're taking hunting learn so many lessons if they, if they do harvest a deer and they help process that venison for the family yeah, and they eat it and the family's healthy. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Think of the something. myriad of lessons
0: taught yeah. there. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Hey, that's that's some wonderful hope, though that is on our horizon, we'll say, because that's how we started this, is say, hey, what is on the horizon? There's some wonderful hope and much more than just this that we talked about. But these things are cool as heck. Um, these things are happening. These things are happening from people that you know are not necessarily uh, the uh, Department of Natural Resource somewhere. There, there are other people involved because uh, a healthy deer because of healthy soil because of our actions and our efforts and that's what's kind of focused on is what are we doing about it what actions and what efforts are we doing to make sure that the plant the animal etc um is at the best and at the at the best healthy side of things that we can do and by doing that I'll sum it up for me it's just being honest honest with everything we're doing and uh, yes yeah
1: yes Great summary. I I think it takes, you know, deer don't just live on my land, live on neighbor's land, across highways, whatever. I I think it takes all of us, right? It it takes the game department to look at a statewide level. I think landowners need to accept a responsibility at their level because the state doesn't have time to go to every property out there. No. Um, So I, I think it takes everything. Yeah. And and there's abuses at every level. There are landowners that don't do a good job. There's a few people in the agencies that don't do a good job. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's at every level, folks. At every every single level. Yeah, I don't it do is. a good job some days, but yeah. uh, let's work together to all do the best job we can. And if we do that, it will be great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate your time in explaining these things, not just talking about these uh, bullet points that we were we brought up from the beginning to this point right now but uh, explaining it in a in a way that uh, most everybody's going to be able to um, digest it and understand it and, and kind of think about it and uh, you know it, it'll uh, challenge them to uh, to do their part whatever their part is might be a big big part might be a small part maybe they're doing uh, a lot of what we talked about already but they're going to adjust to maybe make that extra effort and that's pretty cool that is outstanding, and that's really well. What you're this gracious is all about. to allow
1: me to be your guest, and I appreciate the opportunity. Grant Woods, I really appreciate your
0: time, and uh, for that, uh, I will get this uh, taken care of, uploaded, and when I do, I'm going to send you a link.
1: Thank you, sir. Thank you for the opportunity again. I hope you just have a great day. You as well. Thank you so much. This week's podcast brought to you by. Now that Michigan is a no-bait state, your food plot success is more important than ever. The Food Plot Shop is your best resource for trusted advice and sensible seed blends. Call 248-798-2361 or visit us at thefoodplotshop.com. And also brought to you by
0: GMK Logging. With GMK, your property can be transformed into a deer hunter's paradise, giving you a huge bump in success and real estate value. Give Greg Compo a call for a no-risk, no-cost assessment at 989-213-6499.
3: And with that, we conclude
1: another podcast episode with Wild Game Dynasty. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe in your podcast app to receive notifications on future podcasts. Also, please head on over and check out our Facebook page. Be sure to like and follow it to stay up to date on highlights from our clients' turkey, bear, and white-tailed deer hunts. Until next time, guys, stay safe, enjoy the great outdoors, and happy hunting.